Wasn't that wonderful? That was powerful, powerful worship, church. Powerful worship. You know how it's powerful? It's when you feel the presence of God and you know God is going to move. You know God is going to do something. And expectancy is raised. The atmosphere is changed in this place. And that's how you know, wow, that you have ushered God's presence into this place. And well done, church, because you participated in worship. You have done just that. Now there's an expectancy in this place for God to move in this place. Amen? Amen? Who's excited to hear the Word of God? Come on, make some noise, make some noise. Who's excited? We should always be excited to hear the Word of God, amen? The Word of God brings life. And every time we hear the Word of God, it brings life into our soul, into our spirit. This time, we are in Luke chapter 7. We're in a series of Luke right now, if you all know. I hope you all know. You all know, right? It was a wonderful sermon last week by... Pastor Lee Chiu and also Pastor Isaac, wonderful, wonderful sermon. Go and listen to it. This time we are in Luke chapter 7. And I like the number 7. Who likes number 7? A lot of people like, right? Some people it's because it is a certain number that a footballer wear, right? Who wear? Ronaldo, is it? Is it? And also Beckham, right? All those Manchester one, right? But then you know what happened? Don't laugh. <laughs> what happened a few weeks ago? Manchester lost 7 to 0. I'm so sorry to Liverpool. Oh, yeah! That's right, that's right. All right. Sorry, I see, like, I've got no other claps here. Eh. All the Liverpool fans all keep quiet anyway. All right, but then after that, they lost. Lah. Come on, man. We call this the Robin Hood, Robin Hood syndrome, right? You steal from the rich, you give to the poor. Right? That's why Liverpool fans out there. Alright, anyway, yeah, I'm not getting any support. I'm all Manchester United fans here. Very cold really suddenly. <laughs> anyway, anyway. You know, today I'll be preaching from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And this is a very, very famous story. It's a story about a Pharisee named Simon being invited into, um, inviting Jesus into his house. And Jesus comes in, eats with them, talks with them, and then what happened? A woman came, comes in. A woman comes in, barges into the house, barges into the dinner party that's happening, and then she puts herself, pours herself down at Jesus' feet, kneels down, starts weeping, crying, until wets Jesus' feet. Then she has to use her hair to wipe the tears of Jesus' feet. And then she breaks an alabaster jar. And then Simon the Pharisee was like, What's this? What's happening? And then Jesus tells a very famous parable, the parable of the two debtors, where there are two debtors, right? So we're going to go into this. And I felt led, I mean, Luke 7 is huge, and I felt led to go to the parable of the two debtors. It's because of something that happened recently, not recently, about slightly less than a year ago. My wife and I, we had a chance to go to Germany, all right? And we were in Berlin. So you know Germany, Germany is famous for a lot of things, they are hot dog, sausage, uh, German sausage, right? They are sauerkraut, they are food, but also a history. It's a lot of history there. And one thing that we, we were there and we, we felt the history, we felt the place that was, we went through a little tour that showed the history of what happened in World War II, what happened during the Nazi Germany time as well. And wow, it was pretty, uh, what's the word for it? The word is, when it brings you down, it's very solemn, it's, it's I, I can't remember those, very sobering, 
It's very sobering. And what we did after the tour, um, the tour and all that, we went to Hernhat. Hernhat is known for a place of revival. Over there, they were celebrating a 300-year anniversary of the Moravian revival, where revival hit and there was a 24-7 that went on, 24-7 prayer and worship that went on for 100 years. 100 years. And in this small little town called Hernhat, with only 3,000 people, 3,000 people anchored a prayer altar, 24-7 prayer altar for 100 years. Can you believe that? Church, we can do that. We can do that. We have the numbers. We can do that. And you know what? As we were there, I, we visited another, uh, we visited the YWAM over there, Youth Information. And we were talking with the leader of YWAM then. We were talking about Germany and we were talking about what, what God is doing in this place. And, and suddenly he asked, Aaron, what do, you feel? What, do you, what do you feel God is saying to you right now about Germany? And I was like, Wow, that's a loaded question, man. How am I going to say what, what, what God is doing in Germany? I'm like, who am I? But I felt God suddenly release the parable of the two debtors to me. One was forgiven little, one was forgiven a lot. And this was because during the, the tour that I went, we saw, yes, Germany did many awful things. Nazi Germany, the third Reich, Reich, right? did many, many awful, despicable things. Six million Jews died at their hands, right? But as we were doing the tour, the tour brought us to different sites. One of the sites was the Memorial of the Murdered Jews. It is a huge area, like probably 10 times the size of this auditorium, maybe 20. And it was all stones. It's up to your interpretation what, what it's like. But the, the significance of it is where it's located. It is located at one of the main streets in Berlin. And right beside it is the US embassy and all the other embassies. So meaning, every single person that is important that comes to Berlin will take a car from the airport, airport car, they will drive up and they will always pass this area. Always. Always. And people will naturally ask, what's, what's all these stones? What's all these stones? And not just that, it's so significant. And not just that, when we were walking around doing the walking tour, we saw a lot of templates, a lot of, I don't know what it's called, this thing on the floor, stones on the floor. And apparently there was someone, uh, initiated by the local government and all that, that put 70,000 of these stones on the floor to commemorate each Jew that used to live there, that was sent to the camp. And not just that, there's this, I, I, sorry, like, I don't know all the location, I cannot remember names of locations, some more German name, right? <laughs> something like that one, right? There's this place, there's a lot of steps going up and there's the two steps going up. Over there, we saw plaques. Plaques saying that, you know, of German-Israeli uh, German relations. So I was like, wow. So I felt God saying, the parable of the two debtors, that is Germany's story because they are forgiven a lot they love a lot. They love a lot. And this is what God wants to reveal to us this day. Because you are forgiven a lot, we should love a lot. Alright? So, my question over here is, who here has ever been forgiven of a debt? You can raise your hands. It can be a small debt. It can be a huge debt. 
I see a few hands. You know what? By the end of the day, when we ask this question again, all of us should be raising our hands because Jesus has forgiven our debts. You know, Jesus has forgiven our debts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bring you through an imagination of what's happening in Luke chapter 7, all right? Imagine this. You are invited into a formal dinner, all right? A very atas dinner where they serve... I don't know what atas dinner serve. What do they serve? Or odre, odre, I don't know. <laughs> what was the word? Odre, I don't know. Lah. All right, anyway, they, they serve maybe like 10 course meal or something. Lah. Okay, sorry, I'm not so atas. Lah. So anyway... They serve Atas food, and all the people that are invited are high-ranking officials of the government, of ministry, of religious sectors, and all these Atas people come. And you were invited maybe by like the, another Atas person, like the prime minister. And you are in all this dinner, and then they invite a special guest, an upcoming preacher, all right? An upcoming preacher that preaches really well, that knows the Word of God really well. And you know what? When he prays for people, miracles happen. Demons flee. People get healed. There is salvation. Wow. Okay, and, and everybody congregates around. You attend this dinner, you know, we makan. And there, there are also other scholars around. The, part, the party continues and everybody's engaging in conversation with this special guest of honour, right? Talking about maybe theology because he's a scholar of the word. Theology or maybe an interpretation of prophecy. People like that, right? Interpretation of prophecy. What does this say? Where are we at in the end times, you know? And all of a sudden, out of sudden, sudden, all of a sudden, barge in a woman scandally dressed, imagine, really short, okay, don't imagine. <laughs> don't imagine. <laughs> With like short skirt, tube tank, I don't, tube top, I don't know what they're wearing these days, but yeah. That is not appropriate for the formal dinner. Maybe appropriate for a nightclub, all right? And then she comes in, she barges in, pushes everybody aside, goes to this guest of honour, kneels down, kneels down and starts weeping. Imagine you're in a formal dinner, Atas, maybe wearing a coat, got a tie, more atas, maybe bow tie, you know. And you're like talking, oh, yes, sir. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Boom, budge in a woman. Wouldn't that be awkward? Now, you, as a guest, will be watching, like, what's happening? What is the host going to do about this person? Now, what is this guest of honour going to do about this woman? This guest of honour is supposed to be a scholar of the word, a preacher, right? going to do about this woman that's now at her feet? What are you going to do? Now, this is the story of Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. It is a scandalous story. Scandalous. Because you know why? When that woman went down at the feet of Jesus and when she loosened her hair, that was a scandalous move during that time. You're never supposed to take off your headscarf, your headgear at a point of time. It is equivalent to taking off your blouse in this modern, modern day. It's crazy. It's like, you never do that. So it's very scandalous. Okay, let's read scripture. All right? Come, let's read scripture. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Can we all read this together? Okay, one, two, three. When on one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Continue, yeah? If this man is a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two different people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she had poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God bless the reading of His Word. Let us pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for Your forgiveness poured out for us, Lord. We thank You, Lord, for Your redemption given to us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that this story and in this passage will become so real in our hearts, will become so real in our lives, Lord, that we can come before You like this woman, pouring ourselves down before You, pouring our alabaster jar upon Your feet, Lord, weeping at You at Your feet, Lord. Lord, we ask, Lord, may we understand, Lord, may we understand the depths of forgiveness that You've poured out to us, Lord, in this day. So we thank You, Lord. Speak, Lord, through Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I've entitled my sermon, Who Will Love More? Alright? I think it's pretty obvious, you know, in this story, who loves more? It's super obvious, right? It's a rhetorical question. The sinful woman loves more, right? And that's the end of the sermon. Yeah. Let's go. Worship team. <laughs> shorter sermon ever. I'm not just kidding. Like, okay. Alright. I promise it will be a shorter sermon today. Alright? What we're going to do is because we're going to worship God later on, all right? But let's dive deeper into this passage to find out why this sinful woman loves more, all right? See, Luke's description of this scene, of this dinner, is very much like a Greek symposium. What's a Greek symposium? A Greek symposium is where um, there is a dinner that is being held and hosted by a well-respected host, like I mentioned just now, a well-respected host, invites several social, social elite people of the community for dinner, and also invites a special guest. All right? At this dinner, they would recline along the table. So guys that like to recline and eat the potato chip. <laughs> My favorite thing to do. <laughs> so like, yeah, not wrong, not wrong, it's biblical. Okay? They recline at the table, 
laying down, you know, the feet sticking out, like, oh yeah, the guys usually, yeah, okay. But it's, a, but it's a pretty formal dinner, okay? It was formal in that time to do that, all right? It was a formal dinner, and there would be a series of debates over issues, and it's centered always around the guests of honor, around the, the dinner guests, all right? And this seems to be the type of dinner that was recorded in this passage. That's why I told you, imagine, imagine. It's a very formal dinner, very atas. So Simon the Pharisee was that well-respected religious leader of that time. He was a Pharisee. He obeyed the law. He had certain standing in the community. He was, people come to him, people revere him. He had influence. So then he calls for a dinner. He invites this up-and-coming rabbi, Jesus. Because why? He said a lot of things about this Jesus that heals people, that saves people, that forgives people. Wow. Then he invites all of his friends to come to this dinner. So, why he did it, we're not sure. But let's look now into the characters of this passage. Let's look now to Simon the Pharisee, okay? We do not know the reason why he invited Jesus for dinner. We do not know, all right? At the time, Pharisees were quite opposed to Jesus. And honestly, some were opposed to him because they, he did certain things, he broke certain things, he went to the temple, flip table, right? They did a lot of things that were very unconventional. But so because of that, they were also threatened by Jesus. Jesus was gathering a following. There were a lot of people. At this point in time, there was many. There was a crowd around. And not just his people, there were John's disciples who were following him as well now. And he was probably teaching better than them. He was ex expositoring the scriptures way better than them. He was explaining the spirit of the law rather than the Pharisee being so legalistic about the law. He was performing signs, wonders, and miracles that is aligned to the prophecies of the Messiah to come. So it could be that Simon was intrigued about this up-and-coming rabbi and wanted to see him, talk to him, know him more, or, you know, or wanted to even say like, oh, this is an up-and-coming fellow, right? I need to be seen with this guy. I need to rub shoulders with him so that I can look good. And this dinner party is a very public one. So like, I, I need to be seen with him. Like, you know, we've got, got some superstar come here and then you want to like, oh, I want to be close. People take pictures. Oh, look, got this big fellow inside, right? Yeah, he could be want, wanting to be one of those. Or he could be that he invited Jesus and the rest of his friends, the rest of the Pharisees, so that he can trap Jesus in a theological debate, right? But we are unclear about the motives, about Simon's motives. It's, it's not stated in the Bible. But what we are clear about is that Simon believed that he was superior to Jesus. Okay, why do I say that? Because it is stated in the passage of what Simon did not do, all right? when Jesus came into his, into his home. In verse 44, Luke chapter 7, verse 44, Jesus said, Simon did not offer water to wash Jesus' feet, which was a common act of hospitality. You know, during those days, they wear sandals. It's equivalent to our slippers right now. And when you walk, it, yeah, those are dirt streets. They've got no proper pavement yet. Dirt streets, they've got donkeys, they've got horses, that would just poop everywhere, all right? And urine everywhere. It was like that. And you walk everywhere like that. 
So when you come into someone's home, it is customary to have a pail of water there where the homeowner, the host, or a servant would pass the water so that they can wash their feet, so he can enter. Now Simon did not do that. He did not greet Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. So this was also a very customary thing. When they come in, you, you have a kiss on the cheek. Very French, right? <laughs> Which was a formal greeting on that day. Nor did they provide olive oil to anoint Jesus on the head. It's a very normal thing. They'll put the oil, just anoint the head. It is equivalent to when you have a guest coming to your home and you open the door, you give a handshake. Oh, come, welcome in, come. Do you want some water? to drink, not to wash your feet. Maybe some of, some of your guests want to go to the toilet to wash their feet, right? Some of them still want to do that. So, but it's very normal. Yes, here's the toilet. Come, come, make yourself at home. It is equivalent to doing that. But Simon did not do that at all. He was practically, he was practically saying, oh, you're here, okay? Like that. That was Simon's attitude. And why did he do that? You know, this gives us insight right here. Simon thought he was superior to Jesus because he was a Pharisee, a follower of the law, one that obeys the law, a teacher of the law. See, he thought he was superior. And because of that, he did not recognize the value and the worth of Jesus. You know, if he recognized the value and the worth of Jesus, he would put pull through all the stops. He will make sure the red carpet is open. Open, come in, come in. He will give hors d'oeuvres. Actually, I don't know what am I saying. Is that hors d'oeuvres? Huh? Hors d'oeuvres, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. He will pull out all the stops. He would even wash his feet. He will go above and beyond the customary act if he recognized who Jesus is and if he recognized that Jesus is far, far, way more superior than him. So Simon saw that he was more superior than Jesus and maybe even godlier than Jesus. And that's why he acted this way, as opposed to the sinful woman. Now let's turn our attention to the other character, the sinful woman. You know, before that, in those days, uh, a, a rich person's home is constructed in such a way that there is a semi-public area that people can come in and out and then there is the dining table and beside the dining table, there are windows so that people in the public will come and listen and sit and they will hear the conversations that these important people are having, right? And after that, they will also be able to partake of some of the food, okay? These are for the public because the rich people are magnanimous, magnanimous, magnanimous that way. Yeah, sorry. See, and you know that Jesus right now is the talk of the town. He is the hot topic and there is a following around him. So when he gathered in, when he came to Simon's house, there was probably a huge gathering around the house as well. And this is why we can understand how this woman enters into this scene, into this passage. She was probably in the public area listening in to what Jesus and the Pharisees are saying. But, but she did something. Now, what she did was she broke social protocol by entering and interrupting the dinner. Usually the dinners are for men. There are no women there. Women will be probably serving. But she broke in. She's a public person. 
not invited to the, this particular private dinner, you are only able to listen outside. She came into the house, a woman. She broke social protocol. She went to the feet of Jesus. She took out her headscarf. She broke a lot of social protocol. See, this, the passage over here also describes that this woman had a sinful life, a woman with a sinful life, which also alluded that she was either a prostitute or she was sexually promiscuous. See, and this, so with a character, with a reputation like that, coming to a home of a Pharisee, where a lot of Pharisees are there, where Jesus is there, coming into it, it's like super taboo, super crazy. Like remember the, the example I gave you before, you're in a fancy dinner, suddenly bam, somebody walks in, scantily dressed, but comes down, it would have been awkward. It would have been total silence. This woman comes behind Jesus that's reclining on the table and begins to wash his feet with her tears and then wipes his feet with her hair. And then she takes, takes out this alabaster jar and breaks it and pours perfume over his feet. Wow, what an act of worship. It was socially taboo, but wow, what an act of worship. See, a woman in the first century, as I mentioned, they were not allowed to put down their hair they always ask, they, they always have to be covered with a headscarf, right, or a headgear. The only time a woman takes out the headscarf is in the bedroom with her husband. So when she took out the headscarf and she used her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus, man, that was scandalous. That was scandalous. So she then, she cried, she cried Jesus' feet and she wept so much, she, she wept so much that her tears were able to wash Jesus' feet. That's what the Bible says. Her tears washed Jesus' feet. And seeing that Jesus' feet now is so wet, she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair and then, you know, maybe her tears a bit, I don't know what was she thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm sure she brought the alabaster jar purposely to anoint but in my own carnal mind, maybe she think tears... Wipe, 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 not a bit smelly already. She broke the alabaster jar, but no lah. That's my carnal mind thinking. But I knew she brought the alabaster jar on purpose, break it because she wants to really give everything to this man, to this God. Now, from this event, we can see how Simon reacts. You know, at this con and, we can, and how he reacts reflects the condition of his heart. So we see Simon's heart right now. We're told in verse 39 that Simon said to himself, you know, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. See, not only is Simon disgusted by this woman who is a sinner now, he's also disgusted at Jesus. You see the words, if this man is a prophet, he would have known. If this man is a prophet, it's equivalent to today. You know, a pastor maybe going into a pub and talking to somebody drinking. If this, if this guy is a pastor, what's he doing in there? If this guy is a pastor, what's he drinking? Oh my gosh, he's so like, he's probably thinking like that. This guy is a prophet. He would know who this woman is. See, Simon begins to question even 
if Jesus is a prophet, he did not know that Jesus is way more than a prophet. And you know, it's so, it's so, it's so ironic because he questioned, he was muttering with, with, within himself, saying, speaking to himself, the Bible passage says, he spoke to himself, and Jesus, like, hey, I am a prophet. I am the prophet, says, Simon, I have something to tell you. It's like, be careful what you say in your mind about Jesus because Jesus knows everything, right? So Simon, Jesus over there was like, I'm going to show you I'm a prophet, you know, right? Simon, I've got something to tell you. Like Simon, oh, oh okay, yes, 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 tell me. But Simon tells him the parable of the two debtors. Two men owed money, one owed 500 denarii, which is equivalent to 1.5 years' worth of wages, 1.5 years' worth of salary, Okay, and the other owed 50 denarii, which is about one to two months' worth of work. Both debtors could not pay back the debts, so the lender cancels both debts. Jesus asked Simon, which of these two loved him more, loved the lender more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Simon answered Jesus' question correctly. The one that was cancelled the larger debt would love the lender more. See, now rather than rebuking the sinful woman, because Simon is thinking Jesus should be rebuking the sinful woman, Jesus now turns to Simon, actually he looks at the woman, and, but talks to Simon and rebukes Simon instead. He rebukes Simon. And this was in Luke chapter 7, verse 44 to 46. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. See, Jesus was revealing the condition of Simon's heart. Wow. He was, he was revealing the condition of Simon's heart. Look, even the normal customary acts you did not do for me. See the extent of this woman that is going so far above and beyond to do way above and beyond the customary acts. It was very interesting because a few verses before this chapter, in chapter 7, verse 23, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are not offended by me. See, there's a reason why Jesus reveals Simon's heart. There is a reason why. He is offending Simon. He offends Simon with the words he's saying, with his act, by not doing anything to the woman. He offended Simon. Simon felt offended, right? You can feel, he will feel offended. But there's a reason why. It is to reveal Simon's heart. So my prayer this day is that God would offend our hearts. Why? Because whatever God says is truth. It is truth. And when He says something that is truth and it offends us, that means we do not know that truth or we are living in a lie or we believe in a lie. Therefore, we are offended by that truth. And when we are offended by that truth, it reveals the condition of our heart. So I pray this day that God offends our heart. He offends our heart. Can we say this together? God offend our heart. God offend our heart. Let me just pray right now. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you reveal your truth. 
and that your truth, Lord, will indeed offend our hearts. But Lord, you said, blessed are those who are not offended by me. So Lord, we ask, Lord, as we feel this offense, may we come to see the condition of our hearts and may we come to see your truth and that your truth is light, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, God was revealing the condition of Simon the Pharisee's heart, which is similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 25 to 28. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees! You see, see this woman. Now I'm saying, blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Wow. He's revealing the heart of the Pharisee. You whitewashed tombs, you are clean only on the outside, but inside, you're filthy, you're dirty. He's revealing that to Simon. See, the sinful woman has shown more hospitality, more love to Jesus than Simon did. Simon did not really love Jesus. When he invited Jesus into his home, it was to use Jesus. It was to increase his reputation and his prestige. Simon was more concerned over that than loving Jesus. Simon, the self-righteous Pharisee, does not know what it means to love God. And Jesus then helps to give the answer as to why Simon does not know what it means to love God. Jesus is good. He gives an answer. He gives an answer. And this is summed up in verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as great love has shown, as a great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Why does Simon not show extravagant love like the woman does? Why does this woman love Jesus so much more than Simon? It is because Simon did not see himself as much of a sinner like the woman. It is because he cannot perceive his sin as great and needing forgiveness and needing a saviour. He cannot see the depth of his sin and he thinks he is greater than his woman. See, as a Pharisee, Simon isn't like this woman, right? He wouldn't whore himself. He wouldn't put himself down to any single man or whatever. He saw himself as better. He kept the law. He obeyed the law. He taught the law even. So Simon saw that he did not need forgiveness. He did not need a saviour. You see, the parable of the two debtors, there were a lot of similarities. There are two debtors, both debtors owed money to a lender. There is one lender, and the lender forgave both debts. Forgave both debts. The only difference is the amount the debtor owns. One was 500 denarii, the other 50. But regardless of the amount, both debtors, if they could not pay the amount, what will happen to them? They will be thrown into prison. It's either they're thrown into prison or they will be sold into slavery so that they can pay off the debt. The result is the same. 
So the only difference why one who owes more would love the lender more is because of the awareness of the forgiveness that was given. The awareness of the forgiveness that was given. So now, just now I ask, who here has ever been forgiven of a debt? So I'm going to ask one more time. Who here has ever been forgiven of a debt? All of us. All of us. We've all been forgiven of a debt. And mind you, let me tell you this. All of us is the debtor that owes 500 denarii. Every single one of us. It was even this woman and it was even this Pharisee. Why Jesus gave two contradictions, two, as a story of two people, it is to show that the awareness of forgiveness is important. So we've seen Simon, we've seen the woman, we've seen Simon's heart. Now let's look, look at the woman's heart. You see, the eyes, the eyes of this woman's heart has been opened. She is aware that she needs forgiveness. She is aware that she is broken and that she is sinful and that she is a sinner because her eyes were open to it. She saw her brokenness. She saw her sinful nature which led her to perform such an act of love and sacrifice that would expose her to much ridicule. And she had hit rock bottom and had nowhere else to turn, so she throws herself at the feet of Jesus, the one she knows that can forgive, the one she knows that can save, the one she knows that she can rely on. This woman took a risk, breaking all social etiquettes, barging into the dinner party, throwing herself down at Jesus' feet and lavishing so much love and affection on Jesus, not knowing how Jesus would react. You see, when you know the depths of your heart and you know that you are a sinner, you would do all kinds of things to be forgiven, to ask for forgiveness. And in this instance, the woman broke all social etiquette, broke all customary rules and, and, and whatnot, barged into a house, gave, you know, it is equivalent to David when he's worshipping God, dancing around, indignified, undignified. Undignified. It's equivalent to that. And then she came and she poured out everything that she had. The alabaster jar is said to have been one year's worth of wages. And it's all wrapped up. You have to break it and everything comes out. You cannot save a little bit one, right? She gives all that she has, all. It was extravagant worship. It was extravagant worship. See, the woman's risky action of love is not only surprising in this story. The way Jesus responds is equally surprising and shocking. The way Jesus responds is that He did not kick the woman away. He did not shun the woman away. He did not rebuke the woman. He does not stop the woman. Rather, He says in, he says in verse 48, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 49, 50, it says, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, verse 49 is the key to all of this. 
Who is this who even forgives sin? In another translation, they say, who is this Jesus who forgives sin? They're basically asking, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that can forgive? What is this key? This key is that they are not able to perceive who Jesus is. And that's why they are asking, who is this Jesus? They are not able to behold who Jesus is. And that's why they are asking. But on the, on the other hand, this woman, she saw Jesus. She saw what, she, what He did. He saw, He heard what He said. And she was able to perceive. She was able to behold Jesus. She knows that Jesus can heal. Jesus can save. Jesus can redeem her. Jesus is a Savior. And she perceived Jesus as a Savior. The one that for, can forgive all her sins. The one that can cleanse her of all her filth. And we know she has a lot of filth. This is the key. The key is we need to perceive who Jesus is. We need to behold who Jesus is. And when we behold who Jesus is, when you see He is holy, we come to a realization that we are not holy. See, when she perceived that, she realized, I'm sinful and I need a savior. And this man, Jesus, he can save. When you perceive Jesus as your healer, you realize, wow, there's actually a lot of healing that I need, physical, emotional, spiritual, and because I perceive He is my healer, I can come before Him right now to heal me. When you perceive Him as your Redeemer, wow, then you realize I'm lost. I'm destined for hell. My soul is gone, but He can redeem my life. He can redeem my soul. He can give me back my life then we come before Him. And this was the reaction of this woman. She behold Jesus. She saw Jesus for who He is. And that's why she can come before God, not, not caring about what others think, not caring at all about what the Pharisees think, about what the public think. It was not just Simon, it was not the Pharisee, it was the public that saw this as well. She did not care. She went in, she barged in, and she went down at the feet. Because she behold who Jesus is. So my prayer this day, we now know that all of us needs forgiveness. Forgive, forgiveness, right? all of us need it. All of us have been forgiven of a debt. But now my prayer is that God would open the eyes of our heart so that we can behold who Jesus is. So that we can be like this woman giving God extravagant worship and not be like the Pharisee, not be like the rest of the attendants asking, who is this Jesus? Not being like Simon who's saying, if this fellow's a prophet, he would have known, criticizing. But we can be like this woman. You see in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, it says, the God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
The God of this age, which is Satan, the evil one, he's blinded people. He's blinded unbelievers. Maybe some believers as well. So we need God to open our eyes so that we can see who Jesus is, so that we can behold Jesus. You see, many went into this dinner party. Many. Simon, the Pharisees, the public outside, you know, and this sinful woman, many went into this dinner party. Simon and the rest did not see who Jesus is, could not see, could not behold Him. They saw Him as inferior. They thought they were superior. They were more godly. They even labelled Him a fake prophet. But you see, this sinful woman, this woman was able to see who Jesus is. The one that is able to save, the one that is able to forgive. And because of that, you see, many walked into this dinner, but only one was saved. Only one went out with the peace of God, the shalom peace of God. So today, through this passage, Jesus is asking us over here, who will love more? Will it be us like the woman beholding God knowing the depths of our sin seeing that God is the one that can forgive that's why He's forgiven us and that's why we love or will we be like the Pharisee and his friends saying who is this Jesus who is this fake prophet he's a fake will we love more like this woman. Now, I just want to give a very short testimony. 20 years ago, okay, 20 years ago when I was quite young, uh, there was this inter-church youth pastor, youth leaders gathering and I was, I, I was invited to, to that gathering and I was asked to worship lead. You know, and being a very young young boy at that time, I didn't have money to, to, to have a guitar. My guitar was just a simple kapok guitar. You know kapok, right? So I, my youth pastor's husband had a really nice, expensive guitar. And because he can plug in, can adjust the sound, I can remember very clearly, it's a Yamaha CPX something. It was worth about 5,000 then. It's probably worth about 8,000 right now. It's 20 years ago. So I asked him, hey, could you lend me your guitar? Could you borrow me your guitar? I, I would love to use this guitar to worship lead. I was thinking, you know, the more expensive the guitar, the more anointing. <laughs> so he said, yeah, sure, sure, go for it. He passed me his guitar. I was playing, 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 playing. And all of a sudden, the strap came loose. The guitar fell and it hit a giant rock. Pop! Right in front. There was a huge scratch. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, what did I just do? What did I just do? There was a huge scratch. There was a bit of brokenness inside. You know, there was a guitar expert there. I went to him, bro, 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 please, please. How much to how much to 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 fix this? He looked at it. Bro, cannot fix bro. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you know what made things worse? People in my youth group know that this guitar was bought by my youth pastor 
hey, you pastor salary not a lot, okay? She saved up for like half a year to a year to give this guitar as a birthday present to him. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh no, God kill me right now. Rapture, rapture, please. I'm like, how am I going to face him? I'm like thinking, I got no money in my bank account, maybe like 200 ringgit, 300 ringgit. Like, I can't pay this. But in the end, I, I had to go to him. I had to return the guitar, right? So I went up to him and I said, I'm so sorry. I was playing, the strap came out and it hit a rock. It's a major gash over there. He looked at it. He looked at me. I thought he would be angry. I thought he'd be so furious because one thing is the expensive guitar. Second thing, this guitar is sentimental, right? Wife gave, saved a lot of money just to give him the guitar. But he looked at me and said, don't worry about it, Aaron. Don't worry about it. Accidents happen. It's okay. And there was such genuineness in his words. I felt it. I really felt it. Of course, I felt guilty. I felt really guilty. But I really felt it. And it really marked me. It really marked me because here I am, with a five to $8,000 debt as a young boy, 16, 17 years old. I didn't have that kind of money. How am I going to pay? And he just waved that debt over. God. Fast forward, five years ago, I bought an expensive guitar. I lent it to somebody. <laughs> she plays the guitar on the floor. She was doing something. She put a phone on a very flimsy music stand. It's a very heavy phone and that phone fell, pop, and dropped. And there was a hole in the guitar. It was like, <laughs> it hit me. It really hit me. But you know what happened? I remembered. I remembered what happened. I remembered that 20 years ago, the same thing happened to me. So when she came to me and she said, Aaron, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I damaged your guitar. I'm so sorry. I was able to say, it's okay. Accidents happen. Till today, there is a hole in the guitar and I'm proud of it. I am really proud of it because it showed that I was able to relieve, release forgiveness because I was able to receive forgiveness. You see, it is not just about receiving forgiveness to love God more, but it's receiving so that we can love others more as well. See, God wants to do something in this place. He's offending our hearts so that we can love more. He's offending our hearts. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to stand and we're going to worship Him. And I'm going to ask you this question. Who will love God more? Who will love God more? And if that is you, I want you to worship God and give Him extravagant worship. Give Him all that you have. Raise your hands, sing out loud, pour your heart out to Him because we want to say we will love you more. We will love you more. As we behold who you are, as we see the depths of our sin, as we see that you are the one that can save, we will respond by loving you more.
church as we're coming to a close right now and I just want to give a few calls if you are here and you want to behold Jesus and your prayer is that Lord open up my eyes to see who you are open up my eyes so I can behold Jesus as my Redeemer as my Savior if that is you raise your hands right now in this place raise your hands right now Heavenly Father, would you open up our eyes so that we can see you for who you are. One that saves, one that redeems, one that heals, one that provides, one that went to the cross for our sins, paid all our debts. And because of that, we can come before you and we can love you, giving you extravagant worship, Lord. So Lord, we ask, open our eyes open our hearts and if we can't open our eyes if we can't open our hearts Lord offend our hearts so that we can see where we go wrong where we are wrong offend us Lord so that we can come before you and say God why offend us Lord we pray it's not a call that I want to make if you are here and you do not know Jesus. You do not know Jesus. This Jesus that can save. This Jesus that has forgiven your debts, forgiven your sin. Went to the cross of Calvary. Died for every one of your sin. If you are here and you do not know this Jesus that can forgive. And can wipe the slate clean. And you want to know Him. This call is for you. If that is you in this place, I want to invite you to raise your hands. The count of one, two, three. One. It's as easy as A, B, C. A, you accept the word that has been preached. That's one. Two. B, you believe that God has died for you on the cross of Calvary for all your sins. And C, you confess that He is your Lord and your Saviour. That's you in this place. One, on the count of three. One, two, three. You can raise your hands right now. Just wait a moment in this place. There's anybody in this place. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I assume everybody here is safe. Everybody here is a believer. We're just going to sing the chorus one more time. And we're going to ask God, open up our eyes so that we can behold. We can behold Jesus. We can behold the Lamb that was slain for us on the cross of Calvary. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We say you reign forevermore. And the victory is yours, Lord. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that we we will be able to behold the Lamb. That we will be able to hold you, Lord. You, the Lamb that was slain. Just like John in Revelation, Lord. Lord, when he turned and he saw, I saw a Lamb. A man man that looked like a Lamb that was slain. We are able to behold the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world and we can come before Him, giving Him extravagant 
worship, extravagant love. Teach us, Lord, what it means to be holy. Teach us, Lord, what it means to give extravagant love. So we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask, Lord, that this word will go far and will go deep. And Lord, and if this word offends our hearts, wonderful. Let us wrestle with it so that we can come to you and we can worship you and behold you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' most mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you, church. Tomorrow we have two more services. One service at 8.30 a.m. in SMCC and another service at 8.11 a.m. here back in BY and we have Elder Kuntat giving the word and it's going to be an amazing word from doubt to destiny. Those of you that need prayer, need ministry, the altar is open. You can come up front for prayer and ministry. If you are online, click on the link, you know, and people will get in touch with you and we will pray for you. Amen, amen. God bless you and we will see you in the other services or we will see you next week. God bless you, church.